0: Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and other new thought leaders and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, we're going to talk about the power of a practitioner's thoughts and language to help or impede the healing process. And I'm exploring this with my dear friend, Dr. Sue Mortar. For those of you who may not know her, Dr. Mortar is an international speaker, a celebrated author of the Energy Codes, a teacher, and a doctor with over 30 years of experience bringing together ancient wisdom traditions with cutting-edge quantum science. So, welcome, Dr. Sue. I am thrilled to have this conversation with you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this amazing event with Dr. Sue Mortar. Um, I've called it Invisible Healing because that's a lot of the work that I do and the work that Dr. Sue does. And if you don't know her, you really need to. She is the remarkable healer who is has created a whole system that she calls energy codes and she's written a book by the same name and she is a worldwide speaker she's you know she's wanted in every country basically (laughs) my good friend so welcome sue
1: Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure to be here. So that's not wanted, like from
0: the FBI or anything. It's just, <laughs> we're just, we're just having a great wanted, time. <laughs> wanted that we really want to to listen to you because I've listened to you sometimes and you are mesmerizing. So, oh, so I want to just start. I'm really fascinated and have become more and more fascinated by how thoughts and words are really central to healing so and i've seen you in action sue and that is a a part of some of the things that you do with energy but let's just talk let's get basic for a bit what do you mean by when you say energy codes and what do you mean by energy when you're doing healing
1: well you know the whole of the manifest world is energy everything is energy everything So the chair that someone might be sitting in right now is also energy, the body that they are using as a vehicle to navigate this third dimension is energy. All physical matter is just compressed energy. And so when we speak about healing or we speak about mastering energy, it's really about how can we start to identify as this energy ourselves and learn to work with it? So so the energy codes are a series of principles and practices that people can utilize together to be able to become masterful at the energy that flows through the human system the bioenergetics meaning body energies so if we are sick those bodily energies are blocked and they're not flowing the way that they're supposed to if we are healing, if we are healthy, strong, robust, and vital on any level of our lives, mentally, emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically, it is because that energy is able to flow in the ways that it is designed to be flowing. So the energy codes are a codified way of being able to embody ourselves as this energy being, this invisible spirit energy that we are into this physical realm, this physical end of the spectrum. So just lastly, let me just say this. If you took all of the energy that exists and started compressing it, eventually you would get to physical form So our thoughts and our emotions are just before that energy becomes so compressed to be physical tissue. And so the more we awaken to our ability as healers, what we're doing is kind of waking up to more of the spectrum that we are rather than just thinking we are this physical being that's trapped inside of these five senses and, and that's it. So I'm so excited about diving into this conversation because It is near and dear to my heart as well, Lynn. This is where we need to go as a humanity if we're going to become more masterful at being healthy and robust and vital and fulfilled in our lives and being able
0: to help others as well. That is such a great summing up, Sue. And that is so close to my heart too because this is the problem. We are trapped in a a really old paradigm. And that paradigm really limits us because it basically says we're a a blob of uh, electricity and chemical signaling. And we are so much more than that. We may know that when we're children, we we have a sense of the miraculous and the miraculous abilities we have and the power of things like our thoughts to, to affect matter. But that gets drilled out of us through our teachers, through our, you know, our parents often and eventually and through modern science. And eventually we start believing it. And that just essentially limits us and really limits healing. And one of the things that I've been so fascinated about, of course, is thought as one more energy and thought. We know this from a lot of the science of you know, the new science of it's not so new, it's like 40, 50 years ago, and the quantum science was 100 years old. But understanding, as you say, Sue, that everything is energy, including our thoughts, we now know that uh, thoughts are essentially things that affect other things, and they can be measured. People like Dr. Fritz Albert Pop, the late Fritz Albert Pop, who and um, you know, who discovered biophoton emissions that human beings and all living things emit a tiny current of light. He found, and other people working on his systems, like Dr. Gary Schwartz of the University of Arizona, found that when healers were sending out healing, the light emissions from their dominant hand, which they measured with special equipment, actually grew brighter were increased and they could measure it and measure an increase of photon by photon. They were increasing. So thoughts and healing seem to be intricately connected. So this brings me to something else, Sue, which is diagnosis. You know, I worry about the whole idea of diagnosis as a hexing of a lot of people because Uh, There is a fascinating story of um, of a British guy who was going to a hospital in London and doing really well. And he actually had a low level form of leukemia, you know, but he was doing really well. He was doctor was giving him some medicine, medicine, but he didn't even know what he had. Doctor was just saying, oh, you're doing really well and come back and blah, blah, blah. So he came back and one day he saw his notes and he read upside down that he had leukemia. So he saw the doctor's notes and that guy, I kid you not, this was recorded as a case was dead in a week. He was dead because of his diagnosis. So tell me a little bit about what do you do? What do you think about when you see somebody? I mean, you you're looking at them and diagnosing in a different way. Hmm.
1: You know, so for 30 years, I was in a clinical setting where people would come to me and I would do a, uh, a, a, an examination, a neurologic, orthopedic, structural evaluation, a biochemical evaluation to see where they were functioning and what was happening. And, and early on in my career, just coming out of school, I had to go through a differential diagnosis and figure out exactly what was going on here. And I soon recognized that the moment that I came to a conclusion, there was an energetic shift inside my own system, which I actually didn't care for the way that it felt. Now, keep in mind that I was raised in a family of energy medicine, quantum science was the conversation around our dinner table. I grew up seeing this energy that we're referring to. I shut it down in my when I was about 7 or 8 or 9 years old because I was talking about it all the time and nobody knew what I was talking about. So, I could see it, it was making people uncomfortable, so I shut it down. Then later in my 20s, I tried to get it back and I couldn't. And then another 10 years later, I opened up in meditation to a transcendent uh, experience, a multidimensional experience and my ability to see the energy return. So along the way in that, in all of that, uh, I began stopping giving diagnoses to patients when they would come to me because the moment that they recognized that they had something, now they had it. And prior to them having it, They just had a series of symptoms that they were looking to have some solutions about. They were curious about what was going on with them. They were in pain. They were dysfunctioning in some way. And as as I started not seeing the patient as someone who had this condition, and I started looking to the whole person when I would walk into the treatment room with them, I started noticing that they became more free. They became free to heal. They became free to own their own magnificence and their capacity to heal themselves. We started focusing eventually even not on healing, but actually just coming to know the wholeness of their being starting to embrace parts of themselves that they had shoved under the bus or or, you know, put into a box because they were told that they weren't very creative or they were told that they weren't able to to do things that they wanted to do. You know, all of the ways that we get shut down over the course of our lives. And when I started reaching inside these individuals and cultivating these parts that had been shut down or suppressed in some way, or perhaps never even allowed to develop because of how the individual was raised or the the circumstances that they were in, then people started healing faster. They started staying better longer. And uh, and and circumstances that were that were uh, headed down a road that wasn't didn't have a very pretty picture associated with it in terms of a prognosis uh, began to make a left hand turn and people began to to shift dramatically. So I began to to operate in this way thoughts that we think, the the words that we say, the approach that we're coming from when we're working with a client or with a patient have everything to do with what gets to happen in that space in between us. And, you know, as you know, Lynn, the expert on the power of intention that our come from is everything. Let me just give a brief example to people that might be, you know, wondering, what does this mean? Um, 20 years ago, people would, there was a, there was a new diagnosis in town and everyone was getting the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia. So a patient would go to a doctor and say, I hurt in every fiber of my muscles. And, uh, and uh, you know, I need to know what's wrong. And so the doctor would then do an examination evaluation and the doctor would say back to them, you have fibromyalgia. Now, keep in mind that the word fibro means fiber, myo means muscle and algae means pain, inflammation and pain. So the patient basically was saying, I have pain in every fiber of my muscles. And then the doctor was basically saying back to them, you have pain in every fiber of your muscles. And then the patient would say, oh, I'm so glad to know that I knew something was wrong. And now I know that I have fibromyalgia and I would just shake my head and realize that what was happening was we were, we were creating another reality, something that is a thing and handing it to a patient and now the patient is having to carry that thing around in their lives. Whereas if we would just not do that part and just go to work with what is happening with the whole system that is not allowing this person to be self-healing and self-revealing and self-illuminating, et cetera, be self-sufficient and start to go to work on what's that about? What's going on right there? Then everything began to change. So I'll stop there and see where you're
0: Absolutely. And that is so brilliant that you came to realize it. What I'm fascinated by too, is that you were feeling it in your body, this need to limit somebody to a diagnosis. And with the diagnosis, of course, comes the prognosis. You know, you've got three months to live or whatever. Now let's just, everybody out there, let's just think about this for a second. I'm really interested in the work of Ted Kapchuk. uh, He is an acupuncturist. And a professor at Harvard Medical School, and his life's work has been the placebo. Now he did this study some years ago, where he um, he gave a group he had he got together a group of patients who had really severe carpal tunnel syndrome, really in pain. So he gives half of them a painkiller, and the other half get acupuncture, and he notes that about a third of the people. Were, were suffering so much with side effects from either side that they took to their beds. The other two thirds were essentially much, much better. And here's the kicker of it. The, the people who were giving, getting a pain pill were actually getting cornstarch, And the people who were getting acupuncture were actually getting retracted needles. So they were getting nothing. What they were getting was healing words. What they were getting was permission to heal. They were getting here's some medicine to heal. And that whole idea, and he's done so many studies like that, even giving patients a pill, you know, a bottle of pills that says placebo on it, handing them that, and the patients get better. So, what is that saying? It's saying <laughs> that healing essentially is a thought, you know, it's a thought, and it maybe it's a thought coming from the healer and the healer and some sort of incredible thought interaction that is the real healer in the situation. And so, what I loved about what you said, Sue, was this um, this refusal to characterize how that illness is going to go by giving it a label. Yeah. You know. I mean, I think that's a really powerful thing. I certainly saw it in our family's life with uh, with my, uh, my mother-in-law who had end-stage breast cancer and she was too late to get any kind of conventional treatment when she finally admitted this and went to her general practitioner who gave her three months to live. And we brought her to an integrative practitioner, really a holistic practitioner we knew about. And when he examined her, I was in the room. I mean, her breast was essentially raw meat and he, the, the GP had recoiled from it, but this guy, Dr. Patrick Kingsley, his name was um, just looked at it and he said, Oh, we can handle that. Oh, we can handle that. And I thought that was it. That was the medicine. That That was the the medicine. Mm -hmm. So, so, Tell me a little bit more, this constriction that you felt. Why did you feel so constricted by by the word diagnosis? Mm.
1: You know, what happens is that we get involved in the story And I was now contributing to a story that someone was going to have to put themselves inside of a box that they were going to have to live inside of. And I just knew that there was a much greater capacity for the miraculous, which was which is actually um, just opening the mind to the infinite possibilities that are here for us and allowing it to be true for us too, when we accept that in a me too kind of way, then the universal uh, field, the the unified field has an opportunity to come in through an opening in our individual system. And if our individual system is open to that, then we get to, to, to benefit from things that we never would have thought of. When our hearts are involved in an intention, the capacity for that intention is quantumly enhanced. And so if I was giving them a diagnosis, their hearts were shrinking, they were, they were shoving down their, their ability, the bright light that they came into this life as was being dimmed, it was being, uh, you know, caged up and put in a box and I could see this energetically because of what was happening in my own evolution and my own awakening that was occurring as I, my sight of this energy was able to return and, and I was having these multidimensional experiences, I could see in an instant that this was not, this was not flourishing. It was not life uh, in affirming. It was, it was a quickening that was happening of sorts, but there wasn't an opening amidst the quickening. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. The the focus that happens when we take a placebo, even if we know it's a placebo, all of our attention is in a single point of conscious focus at one time and we take the placebo. And it's actually what's happening there is a focusing of the mind to a tiny spot. So all of us, all of who we are is gathering its, its attention. And it's empowering by impacting in to this single point of consciousness that that we are working with as a, a pill and a placebo or a deep heartfelt intention or wherever and however we are directing our mind. So I began to recognize that working with the raw energy itself was more important than naming it. That once we name it, we separate ourselves from it. And now I'm over here and this thing is on top of me, this diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So this condition, this disease, and it, that separation disempowers us from ever being able to do anything about it, because the story goes that people die from this condition or people have this condition for, for decades, or they have to learn how to live with this condition, et cetera and that is one of the most frightening things that we can do to the mind field is to give it parameters like that when, when, uh, when it has an ability to do something more uh, fantastic for us so, so we have to quicken and focus but we can't close off we have to remain open while we're gathering our attention When we close off, we close off those infinite amount of possibilities that we end up calling miracles, but they're really not supposed to be miracles. It's supposed to be the way that we're living and what we're allowing to be. We've just created a world for ourselves that is completely boxed in. So when I was feeling this in my own body, when I would engage in a conversation that was starting to constrict energies in me, I could tell I wasn't in alignment with the greatest healing power on the planet that I had been aligned with at other moments in my own meditation or when I was working with the client, etc., So I stopped doing anything that caused that contraction and allowed my system to remain focused and intentional, but not closed off in a box that we just created for this patient by giving them this story, it called a diagnosis. So started happening there was everything began to change.
0: That is just so interesting, because I think that, you know, when you look at the, healer, healy experience together. The thing that really does disturb everything is the diagnosis. And from the patient's point of view, I mean, I have my own story, which was pretty fascinating because um, as Dr. Sue knows, I had some problems walking for a couple of years. Um, I was born with some sort of hip dysplasia that didn't bother me most of my life until the last couple of years. And so in the search for what I eventually you know, got sorted, but in the search for that and looking for the right kind of healer to work with, I started getting really fascinated by their languaging because their languaging was so disempowering. If I wasn't the, you know, The rather rebellious person that I am and audacious person I am usually, um, I would have been really deflated. But I actually started using this as material. And I I talk about this in in the course I'm about to give, Become a Better Healer with a Power of Eight, which is for practitioners. Um, But in this Journey. It was fascinating. I I was taking notes of people who were otherwise excellent healers, who were saying things to me like, "This is going to be a long and painful journey, Lynn," or you know, "This." Or if they were examining me, they'd say, "This hurts, right?" And I'd say, "No, it doesn't hurt." But <laughs> uh, they were, you know, they were sure it did. Or you've got scoliosis and I said, I'm pretty sure I don't have scoliosis You know, <laughs> I've been checked out. No, I don't think that's it. And so it went and finally, I think my favorite one was, you're a shadow of your former self. You know, I was walking around the park today and I saw a guy doing silhouettes and I felt like getting my silhouette done and sending it to that practitioner and saying, here's the shadow, I've dropped it. <laughs> no, that's you know, a shadow. <laughs> that's the shadow. But I just thought, wow, you know, as I say, if I hadn't been the fairly rebellious spirit I am, this would have crushed me. It would have limited me. It would have determined what happened to me. And I think that is the element. I think that practitioners of all types don't really realize this is all unconscious. These are all, you know, we're inadvertent. These aren't people who want to hurt their patients. But they've been, the whole idea of telling the patient the truth, being truthful with the patient has been drilled into practitioners so much that people don't really think about what that actually means. You know, if thoughts are energy and if thoughts are things, and if we are all energy, then somebody sending that kind of limiting thought can prove fatal as it was with that guy in that British hospital. So, you know, that's what I feel about uh, talking and languaging and even thinking among practitioners. So I have another question for you, Sue. When you're thinking about, so you don't use the language, but when you're thinking about about a patient that you're dealing with, what thoughts work best for you? Mm-hmm. Or do you try not to think at all? What's What's happening in terms of your thoughts? Yeah. When I'm actually working with someone, either with
1: hands-on or even the remote healing that I do, I oftentimes am just having my mind focusing on this flow that I'm, that I'm working with and allowing it to drop to the earth through this system, rise up through me and, and project in whatever way I am focusing it in the work that I'm doing with someone. I'm simply just witnessing that, allowing that to be true uh, and, and feeling the potency of that energy moving. And so my mind isn't thinking happy thoughts it's just being present with what is. It isn't thinking heal the problem because I don't believe that it's a problem. I don't see it as a problem. Now, this comes from something that I speak about in in you know what I'm teaching people. I wrote about it in the book that you mentioned. That we have to come from this place of radical wholeness. I call it the front side of the model, and we have to make this quantum flip into this radical space of recognizing that every single thing that happens in our lives is in our favor, even if we. We can't see it, in fact, especially when we can't see how this is benefiting me, then, then it, it's, it has medicine in it for us, for us to recognize that if I can change my come from, if I can change my perspective of life and what's happening here to a bigger picture perspective, I can actually start to see and allow all these things that are occurring in my life to be to my benefit. And prior to me ever looking at them that way, they're not. But when I start running it through that kind of filter, it begins to reveal and it actually takes us into a, a greater ability to be present and fully available to whatever is happening so that we're not Pro, pro, constantly trying to protect ourselves from this happening or that happening we're available. Now there are ways that people can go about becoming more comfortable so that they can be available to more things and that's of course what we're talking about here is learning and recognizing and remembering and realizing hey you know it's not about a story of good and bad it's about it's not about either or it's about both and it's about there's not a problem here and when i can start to look into myself and recognize that I have a greater capacity to be present with this situation than I ever knew I had, now we start activating these healing energies that that were sitting dormant just waiting for us to give them a chance to participate in the flow of this system. So when I'm working on someone, I'm seeing them as whole and complete I walk into the treatment room, and when 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 I was in my clinical days, and you know now I'm I'm traveling, not traveling so much, but teaching all the time. So I'm I'm doing more remote healing and that type of thing. But but the thought is on the infinite potential. The thought is with compassion to allow this individual to find that within themselves. My, my mind's attention is on wholeness and it is on the celebration of discovering the parts of an individual that were being suppressed that led to their illness in the first place. The parts of an individual that have been keeping their innate, internal, natural healer to be able to become robust and expressing in all parts of their lives. I see them as whole and complete. I see them and know that they have the capacity to rise up in this life. In, in, in health and vitality. And if they're not, there's a reason. And that reason is simply because of something they're not aware of, something they've misinterpreted in their lives, something they have drawn a conclusion of and are caught up in a story of their own. So if I can stay out of the world of story and just work with the raw energy that is flowing through this system and enhance it with love and celebration, then what happens is that healing energy inside of the individual does the same. We all know about resonance and coherence and that that if we're dialed into a certain frequency, we tap that frequency for other people. And when we're dialed into the most infinite potential, but we're embodying that for ourselves, then those that we are working with or intending for have a greater and greater capacity to tap that same um, universal healer within themselves and they heal themselves.
0: So... That's the thing. That is the interesting part of it. They heal themselves. Now, one of the other things that I've been focusing on with the work that I do also is the thinking and the words of the patients, because it's not just the healer. This is a little dance that's going on. And in so many instances, in certainly the people that I've worked with over the years with power of eight groups and individually with the power of intention they come as you say with a story they come with a preconceived notion of whether or not they can heal or even if they're not aware of it their thoughts are usually limiting negative you know i mean if i were to ask you out there to just write down what you're thinking next week I can guarantee you that 75% of it in most instances, if not more, is going to be negative self-talk. It's Mm -hmm. going to be, that's going to be the internal narrative, the narrative of your life that is crushing you from exhibiting all that you are essentially. And then that is the thing that gets into the way also, oftentimes with a practitioner, with healing, And it's often, you know, most of the time, isn't really addressed, you know? In fact, is contributed to, as we said, with the kind of offhand comments, et cetera, because any offhand comment of a practitioner is going to be magnified, you know, a hundred times in that ill patient because he's already feeling ill, she's already feeling ill, and that is just confirming to her that it's going to be hard, if not impossible, to get well again. So, really, part of the the, I think, the skill of of being a practitioner is also healing the thoughts of the patient, too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I've certainly seen that with Powervaint groups all the time. There is something extraordinary about a small group that enables people, gives people permission to heal, but also, let's say it's eight people in the power of eight group, seven eighths of the time, they're sending intention to somebody else. And so that in itself, getting off of themselves, being part of this larger entity, this hyper mind state of a power of eight group, that becomes healing too. That just, I think the getting off of themselves is a really big piece of it. They get to be a healer as well and to participate in this, positive story you know this positive outcome and as a result i mean i've seen thousands of cases of power vate groups producing miracles you know with with people with you know all kinds of conditions including you know stage 4 cancer we're working with two people with stage 4 cancer now and you know it's turning around and I believe they have other things they're doing, but I think the power of eight group is changing their thinking process. I'm watching one of the people in this power of eight group of mine. And I see that in she came in with an expectation of pain that she was going to be, her treatment was gonna be painful. Her surgery was gonna be painful. It was gonna to be tough. It was going to be a hard, hard road to go through. And what we worked on really was that she was going to go through it with ease. And she has. And she's astonished. She's astonished. So in that case, changing the thinking changed the path, the healing path. Now, how about with you, Sue? What have you seen before we start taking some questions? What have you seen with some of your patients in terms of thinking processes you've, you've needed to work with? You know, one of the things that I'm teaching people is
1: to take their attention, their mind's attention to their body. Whenever they're in a situation that has a charge for them, something upsets them, maybe the moment they received a diagnosis, maybe it was earlier than that in their life, which is what created the need for the diagnosis, created the symptoms and caused them to go to the doctor and find out what's going on. When they think back about something that's happened in their life or some disposition that they grew up with or whatever the case may be, that rather than staying just in their head, but if they direct their mind's attention to the body, they will feel a knot in their throat, a tightness in their chest chest or a lump in their stomach, et cetera. And it's trying to tell them something. It's telling them that the system isn't able to be working the way that it is intended. And so I direct their attention into their body. Where do you feel it in your body when you think about um, that situation from your past? Where do you feel it in your body when you think about the moment you receive the diagnosis? Because we have to do some work there. So often one's energy field contracts so much the moment that that they read upside down on the, on the page that they have leukemia, or the doctor looks at them and and points out their test results and tells them this story. They leave that, that conversation with a huge contraction. And so I'm teaching people how to, you know, how to work with that and use it to their advantage to learn to build more circuitry. And so, so when it comes down to what are the thoughts then that I would think instead of the upset, that that, that I, I'm directing their attention into their wholeness as they're learning to breathe up and down through the body and, and do the things that they do with the energy codes, their mind's focus has to be on infinite possibility, radical acceptance of the self, being in the love vibration. If, if, the, if this breathing of love through the body can happen, then healing happens faster. I find that the vibrational frequency of love is like the universal solvent, that all of these issues start to spring forth from an absence of self-love. So when the mind is focused on loving thoughts, thoughts of compassion, thoughts of, of tenderness, thoughts of intimacy, thoughts of deep care, coming home to the self in this sort of a way, all have a tremendous empowered ability to enhance the healing presence within You know, if we take this unified field and start compressing it all the way to physical form, if we decompress it all the way back out to the unified field, when we start the compressing, it starts a vibration, a vibration starts the moment we start compressing energy, that very first vibration generates a frequency, that first compression generates a vibrational frequency that we call love. So when we're loving, we're as close to being in the infinite possibility um, as is possible to still be in a body. So the power of love and intention is exponential. If our intention, if our thoughts are of love and compassion, not love and sorrow and pity and feeling badly for ourselves because of our diagnosis, but, but coming home to ourselves in a way that says, you know, hey. I was put on this planet to have a full life experience. And I was given everything that I need to have that. And somewhere along the way, I got suppressed or I got splatted and scattered and dispersed or I got disoriented in some sort of a way. And now that's showing up as symptoms. And then I go to the doctor and they name the set of symptoms that go together and what we call a disease or a diagnosis but they're just a collection of a chain reaction that started with how do I believe in myself? How much is it here? How much am I letting that be true? You know, the number one thing, as you said, Lynn, that I, you know, ask people, you know, what are you wanting from this course when I start teaching a course on self-healing, whatever the case may be, or, or healing others, it, it's about, uh, I want, I I need more self-confidence, I don't have, uh, I don't have faith, I don't have trust in myself, I, I need, you know, I have so much pain in my body, I can't get optimistic, and, And what I know turns it around is when we climb inside and pick up where we left off somewhere along the way, we landed here, we splatted, we dispersed, and we became disempowered. And we started depending on the outer world to tell us who we are, including the diagnosis that they give us. And if we can just come back here and have a do-over, just begin again, everything begins to change. And this is what you're doing with your beautiful work, Lynn, by by setting people into groups and allowing this power of intention and the power of collaboration to have an effect on us. It gets us out of our own stuff. You know, I just glanced over here and saw this picture that I have from teaching that that we get into our own distortions versus sitting in our perfected biofield and if, I, if I'm in this distorted state and I get in the company of someone who's even maybe not perfected, but a little less distorted or distorted in a different way, we can help each other find a way for this rising energy to find its way to, to express into this toric field flow, which allows for healing in the body. And when people are gathering in your groups of eight, Lynn, this is what's happening. Someone has had a difficult time here. Someone else has had an empowered experience with the same thing. Their energy fields are now influencing each other. And so we become more unified by gathering and we have access to energies that we don't have access to alone at first. Now, ultimately, we do have the power in and of ourselves, but it sure is helpful if we can get if we can get a little support from our friends uh, in the meantime that are also focused on
0: our highest good. You know, there's nothing like that. No, I think, and, and I've looked at so many aspects of power of eight groups and what's healing about it and what practitioners can learn about this too. And I found it is really a fast track to entering oneness. I mean, that's certainly what the brainwave sig- uh, studies we've done on power of eight groups certainly show that within a few minutes, people enter into a state that is essentially analogous to a Buddhist monk um, involved in ecstatic prayer, or a Sufi master involved with chanting. It looks nothing like meditation. It's another state. And I think what you're saying, Sue, is so right, which is if we can enter into a state where, which is the state we really are, a state of oneness, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't get to experience the field. You know, we don't get to feel that. We feel in our own little corporeal separateness all the time. That's where we live. But I think in a group healing and moving beyond this kind of, as you say, this separateness, this diagnosis, this this sense of limitation, when you're part of a group, you leave all of that, you drop that. And I think this is what is empowering, I think, for practitioners and some of the work that I'm doing with this course I teach become a better healer with the power of eight is showing practitioners that their patients will heal faster. If they, they form their own groups, that's another healing capacity to, to work with, but to get them to understand that whatever they're doing, whatever kind of modality they use can be enormously augmented by bringing in to bear what, everything we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So let me put my glasses on so I can take some questions and kick them to both of us. So sure, I know we've got loads of people asking all kinds of questions. So please everybody listening um, on the webinar, please feel free to write in easier, easier for me to read them on the question and answer part. Okay, uh, let's see. Um, how do I change my thinking I've never been in a love relationship I'm 68 years old I close my heart and don't know how to be vulnerable and intimate I feel shame says says Liz so you know I I just want to jump on this
1: for a moment and say that that relationship isn't required in order for you to know love it isn't required We also have the power of our imagination, which is is really what we're encouraging everyone to do when we're setting intentions and we're allowing this power of the focused mind to have a role in our lives. When we use our imagination, what would it feel like if I did know what would it feel like if love could be uh, in whatever way I would have it be? If I were to make up what love means to everyone, if I were to make up what humanity is supposed to understand about our empowered ability to heal, it, it feels like we're using our imagination, but we're really just remembering parts of ourselves that are outside of the box that started getting built as soon as we got here. And our parents started training us and we started being you know compressed into something that was the best of intentions for everyone around us, but, but ultimately we're here to evolve up and out through that. So I would just say that that as you feel shame, as you feel guilt or you feel fear or whatever those energies might be, know that those emotional states are just energies too. And if you will embrace them, there's actually something beautiful inside of them. Now, this is part of this radical wholeness idea that I'm speaking about. But if you're feeling shame or guilt, it's just an energy that's being interpreted in a certain way. And if you could just embrace it, then it sends a message to the subconscious that says there's nothing wrong with this energy. And if I can embrace the energy, that energy will now become part of my whole field that will actually be part of my groundedness and my wisdom and my ability to be present with any life circumstance. If I can be present with my own sense of fear, then I can be present with someone else's sense of fear. And once we're all doing that, we can hold a space for each other that is so much more stable and so much allowing so much more allowing of life to be okay and not something we have to outrun or protect ourselves from all the time. So I actually think it's an advantage if someone has not experienced something, if they've never had this or they've never had that, or they don't know what it is, it's calling you to utilize your imagination and just say, okay, so I've never had that experience in the outer world. What would happen if I did? What would I want it to be if it did happen and get to know what that energy would feel like? And it will be unaltered. It will show up exactly the way you want it. And you can utilize that energy as part of your own healing capacity. So limitation of experience is not truly a limitation. It's an invitation into using your own imagination and your heartfelt joy in your heart of hearts. What would it be like if you did know what what it means to be loved unconditionally or what it means to be whole and full and and fully accepted? Excuse me, in this world, under those circumstances, different energies start activating. And those are the energies that start contributing to
0: healing. Fantastic. And Joanna, thank you, Sue. Yeah, um, yeah. Joanna has asked, can energy fields influence each other on Zoom? If someone is disorganized and joins an online power of eight group, will their field be able to change in the presence of more organized fields in the group? Well, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, yeah, yeah. I've run thousands of power of eight groups. All of the courses that I give with power of eight groups are all online. So, people are meeting, but they're meeting virtually and they're meeting, you know, over great distances. We usually try to keep them in the same time zone, but they're meeting all the time virtually, and that works just as well. They don't have, you don't have to be in person. Um, and energy fields, I mean, all of the work that I've done on energy fields um, have demonstrated that we create a kind of psychic internet. Um, between people when we intend together Um, I've seen that with my intention experiments we've done some experiments I, I love the one I did from Sydney Australia where I had an audience there and we were intending to to make seeds grow faster in a set of seeds in Tucson Arizona and we had controls and all of that and it worked and it worked when we did this five other times, but the most interesting part of it was, you know, we were 8,000 miles away. So we were creating that kind of change in those seeds, 8,000 miles away. Undoubtedly, if somebody is feeling, you know, in some way disorganized, you know, not as coherent as someone else. I mean, plenty of evidence has shown the more coherent person can regularize the other. And when it's a whole group, it's that whole loving energy too, that, that altruistic energy that where people, a group of strangers, imagine it, are sending intention, loving intention to you. And that is healing on every every level. For our person who talked before about not ever feeling love, well, try a power vape group. So here's something else. This is from Paula. She said, I was a dietician before and my liver transplant candidate was told she was too underweight for a new liver. I read in a paper, the liver can grow back if we increase her food and avoid alcohol. She went from 35 kilos to 70. 57 kilos before her transplant, when she was sent home to die by the surgical and medical team. She listened and believed, and she and I proved the team wrong. It was of course her belief, but totally possible based on beliefs. Now, here's a question for you, Sue. From your point of view, it says from both our points of view, what happens spiritually with Alzheimer patients? So one of the things that's happening is
1: uh, there's, it's a very big question from a spiritual perspective. We're moving in and out of our own uh, single point of uh, uh, focus. We're not, we're becoming less local with our mind field. And we're, we're, we're visiting other realm aspects of who we are and we're, we're kind of in between the worlds in some ways. And so when this is happening from a spiritual holistic standpoint it if we if we look at this and this is a conversation that i typically would have in a little bit deeper setting where we could set a context for this um but we're we're at the soulful level preparing ourselves to to move from dimension to dimension to dimension and so from the third dimensional perspective alzheimer's is a problem but from inside the alzheimer's patient if we were not giving them the cues that this reality or these altered realities that they are experiencing were wrong or not accurate or untrue, then they would actually have a more pleasant experience inside of this condition that they are living in, these circumstances that they are living in. So so in other words, if if someone just to really simplify this if if a little child is running down the street and falls and hit you know falls and you know bumps their knees and their chin and everything and they stand up you'll notice sometimes they look look around to see am i okay or was this a bad thing or is this okay and when the people come flooding to them saying oh no 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 i'm so sorry this is so bad here come here come here then it creates a story for them it creates a reality and now they're in a problem Prior to that, it might not have been nearly as intense had people said, oh, this is okay. It happens all the time. Let's brush you off and let's keep going. And what happens under that vibrational shift of the environment around them has an impact on how they are interpreting the circumstances likewise i've worked with lots of alzheimer's patients who became so much more fluid and highly functioning inside of their homes with their families and in their lives when i would work with the family which is literally a power of eight type of set setup Work with the family to hold the space for this to not be a problem. Become curious about what they're experiencing. Ask them to share inside of their their interpretation of what's happening in their reality and watch them find a sense of peace and fluidity that allows them to stay present instead of everyone who's surrounding them all the time to constantly be concerned and worried and putting them into some kind of box that clearly they're not supposed to be in it's not supposed to be that way for them, or it would be. So, It's it's again, part of this radical idea that we have to kind of walk ourselves in to be able to to wrap our minds around that. But but by engaging in in these types of programs that Lynn and I are talking about and and this program that Lynn is, is, is offering us up here very soon is a perfect way for us to learn how to hold such a space as if whatever is happening is okay and to see it in its wholeness and to see it in its flourishing capacity to be pink, healthy tissue or highly functioning brain synapses or a combination of a loving presence present with presence with, with creative capacity being enhanced or whatever the person's circumstances are reflecting that it is time for us to be enhancing in, in ways that that allow these symptoms to melt away. The symptoms are just showing us how we've been managing the energy. They've been, they have been—they are a reflection back to us about how we're doing at accepting our wholeness. And so when you engage in a power of eight, you, the wholeness is, is more readily presented because your single mind is outnumbered. There's seven more people holding a space that, that can come at it from another perspective and hold this, this pulsation together. It is a very real thing. The universe is pulsating and we're either participating in that universal pulse or we've separated ourselves off and are operating on a different frequency, a different bandwidth. And so when we engage in this larger way, all kinds of conditions, along with Alzheimer's, have an ability to be soothed and to be satiated and to be saturated in greater possibility. And then that, that same toric field flow that we were just mentioning, it gets to stabilize instead of being influenced by our own subconscious fears and, and history, our own story that we've been
0: trapping ourselves inside us. So hopefully that's helpful. Absolutely, thank you, Sue. Um, now, Maureen says, and Mar- uh, Marino have two questions that I could answer together. They said, what do you suggest saying to people as they start to improve and then start the transition period of change, which can often feel uncomfortable. I'd love some tips on the language to use to explain this positively. And Marino is saying what to do if the intention isn't working, i.e. I- condition not improving. So. So with Maureen, what you're talking about is an expectation that people are going to, they start to improve, then they're going to go through this transition period of change, which is going to feel uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. This is the thing. I think it is, if you go back to the whole idea of pain and where it originates, you know, pain is a whole process. It's a thought essentially, and what they found with new research is that when someone takes a placebo, it affects the entire thought, emotional uh, bandwidth of pain, but also the uh, effect in the body. So the experience of pain, ow, this hurts. Well, that, if that's a thought, that thought can be changed. And I'll give you an example with myself. Um, I went through what is supposed to be one of the 10 top um, painful operations on both hips. And when I went in, I sort of made up my mind that I was going to enjoy this. You know, it was something I hadn't wanted to do, but I decided, okay, I have to do this. So I'm going to enjoy this. So I'm going to, I'm going to, interact with the doctors. I'm going to say hi to the anesthetist. I'm going to be smiling as they roll me in and smiling as they roll me out and smiling at the nurses and smiling at the food, which was good by the way. And I was in the hospital for eight days and I didn't stop smiling through the whole thing. And as a result, I had literally no pain. I didn't have to take opiates. I didn't have to take non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. I took because they told me to take something. I took Tylenol for a week and then stopped because I didn't need it. And I found it's that expectation. Change the expectation, you change the outcome, you change the whole energy around it. So, as a practitioner, Maureen, it sounds like you are. When someone is improving, if they do go through some sort of transition, don't language it. Don't predict it. Don't ever talk about what it's going to be. Keep them focused on, on their healing. Keep them focused on how far they've gone. Keep you're the cheerleader, the ultimate cheerleader. And you not only keep them focused on it, but keep you focused on it. Don't expect, don't have an expectation of it. because your thoughts are going to be, you know, thoughts are trespassers. They're going to, they invade other people and other things all the time. Um, In many of my courses, I have people sending back and forth and with total strangers on Zoom and they're picking it up, picking up what other people are thinking. Um, And so I would recommend that on what to do if it's not working, break it down, make it smaller, do intentions for smaller things and also Get off of yourself. You know, many times with students of mine, if it's not working, I will say to them, get off of yourself, do an intention for someone else, then come back and see what happens. And Mm -hmm. most of the time, the getting off of themselves proves to be the healer. And I mean, there's loads and loads of studies and science to demonstrate that, you know, altruism is one of the biggest healers there is. Yeah. So anything you wanted to say about with transition periods, Sue? You know, the same,
1: the same, I, I've healed a scoliosis in my own system and healed migraine headaches and healed broken arms without traditional casting means all because I completely knew as I was discovering this felt sensation inside of the body and how we're supposed to be working with it, that, uh, that, the, and I know now that there is no such thing as, as a false, hope that this potentiality is here and it is us and and we are to allow that to be true now it is valuable for us to get into a training so that we are allowing ourselves when we're being that cheerleader to know what we're doing you know how to be oriented inside of our system to truly gather this power and and help facilitate that for others. You know, so this program that Lynn is, is about to offer up, I, I can't encourage you enough to jump in on that because of what you will learn about the how of how to become this oriented individual that is able to move this energy in this sort of a way. And when someone's intention is not working, perhaps they're setting too small of an intention. Perhaps their intention is too focused on healing the problem When in actuality, one of the things we're trying to share with you here today is that there's actually not a problem. And it's our belief in the problem that is causing the symptoms, that is causing the diagnosis, that is causing us to try to learn to heal this thing. So what if you set your intention a little bigger about your wholeness and your magnificence and allowing yourself to be here on this planet in your fullness And watch what happens. So maybe you're setting the bar too low when you're setting an intention that's not working. So maybe even just including this or something better, uh, that would be helpful to keep the, the, the mind field open, but focused. Uh, Then as it relates to people in their transition uh, time, I would say that it is the most glorious way for you to be in in the presence of someone who has has been battling something for so long that their system is not able to to land itself back here, but to be the steward of them uh, leaving in in a most um, profound and integrated way. The power of intention, even there, makes a a literal transition from this this physical life into our non-physical expression of ourselves. For that to happen with grace and ease happens as we begin to see that we are eternal beings. We are made of energy and energy cannot be created or destroyed. And so we have never not been. And one of the, one of the experiences that I had in my in my uh, exalted states of openings that started occurring 20 years ago was the recognition, the recognition that I had always been here and I was always going to be here and that I was just focusing my attention into the physical realm and having this experience, but that I would receive my attention back into this exalted state again and again and again. And so, so when we're in the space of someone moving through a healing process where they're gathering all the parts of themselves back together again and starting to flow as an integrated individual, they're, they're gonna go through who knows what. But if you're holding the space and this alignment for knowing that it is all okay and that we are coming in here and having a joyful experience of the divine here on earth. And then when that experience has, has drawn a completion, we recede out, collect ourselves, and come back in or go somewhere else for another experience. And when we can kind of sit in that place and hold that space for others, healing happens because a sense of okayness, a sense of relief enters into the field. And that sense of relief is the remembrance of the bigness of our beings. And and Lynn and I are both so very interested in humanity, rediscovering that. We are being called to this at this time more than ever before in our lifetime. We're being called to realize a greater version of ourselves than we were allowing ourselves to be. So we call that healing and being a healer, but it's actually just remembering you know, but in courses like what Lynn is about to offer us is, you know, it's remembering with clarity. It's remembering with, a, with an organized, systematic way of allowing infinite possibility to run through your life and into the lives of those that you are here to, to serve. So I'm thrilled that you're teaching the course, Lynn, and I'm thrilled to be, uh-huh. uh, to be able
0: to support uh, this, this type of conversation for all of humanity. Thank you so much, Sue. I'm going to take one last question and then sadly we have to wrap this up. But somebody has said she has a friend who has stage four metastatic breast cancer. She's getting worse from day to day. A lot of pain, she can't breathe. I'm thinking about a power of eight group. Does it make sense in turning her case to the Facebook group? I have a Facebook group called become, uh, it calls it's called co- uh, connecting and healing through the power of aid. I set it up in the beginning of the COVID crisis so people mm-hmm. could connect and heal during all of that. Um, and she also asked about my intention for Sunday sessions. And also someone else, Luke asked about those who are diagnosed with a cancer or life-changing disease. As Sue has said through here, and I heartily agree, um, there are no labels here. Um, it is not necessarily life-changing what or even life-ending. I don't like ever like that term. What I usually say about cancer is it's a bit of an inconvenience. And um, if you can get your mind around the idea that any of this can heal, as I say, my Power of Eight group has healed two people with stage four metastatic bre- uh, cancer um, we've healed in our power of Eight groups, many hundreds of people with metastatic cancer, thousands perhaps. So um, cancer, you know, with all of these things, one of the things I tell people to do is to do an intention around finding the practitioner as well that you want to work with. So that's an, another big one. And this practitioner needs to be that cheerleader we were talking about and needs to understand a much broader and holistic view of the body, including energy. Um, But also I would really recommend power of eight groups in both cases for Claudia and Luke Um, that that will give that patient hope and hope as Dr. Sue has said, is essentially the best medicine. Hope is the medicine. Um, if you have nothing else, you need hope and hope will turn it around. It certainly has turned around many people I've seen, including my own mother-in-law. So we have to go now, but it's, it's taken, you know, we, we, this hour has zipped by. It always goes too fast with you. always then. goes too to fast. Blast. This is Lynn McTaggart, helping you to live the new science. Keep listening, and I'll continue to give you information and tips each time about how to incorporate this new information into your life. And if you'd like to dive deeply with me into the power of intention to heal your past and design your future, why not welcome in the new year by joining me and a small select group of like-minded people for a rare mix of life-changing transformational teaching and joyous relaxation in a blissful oceanfront setting in Costa Rica. Clear out the old and welcome in the new year and a life-changing future. To find out more about this retreat, visit globalj, G-L-O-B-A-L-J.org forward slash Lynn hyphen three, and that's Lynn with two N's and an E. So it's Lynn hyphen three, or check it out under my website, lynnmctaggart.com, under events, and then retreats.